0: On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about grade 12. Why are we talking about grade 12? Well, because it seems an awful lot of kids as the school year is ending aren't sure still what they should do. Go to university, go to college, go get a job or come back and do another year of grade 12, and it is causing some challenges. We'll talk to a guidance counselor about that one. We're going to talk about two political stories on opposite ends of the country that are very similar in some ways, but are eliciting very different responses from politicians. We'll talk about those. And out in Vancouver, they the school board out there has decided to cancel honors programs because of equity and diversity issues. They say that having programs, having classes for kids that are really exceptional in school aren't equitable. Good idea? I don't think so, but we'll talk about it. Stay with us.
1: Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I
0: don't know what vintage you are who are listening right now. I'm guessing all different ages. So some of you are of that time where we had grade 13 which by the way, I think was a tremendous idea. And I think it was foolish to get rid of it. Not everyone agrees. Some of you do. Uh, some of you though, never had grade 13. You had grade 12. Some of you, because of circumstances, probably never finished high school because you know life got in the way. We get it. Everyone comes from a different place in the whole education spectrum. But right now, having just come through 16, 17 months of COVID, we've got a cohort of students in high school looking at their education and saying wait a second where am i well a really interesting situation it seems for these students who should be graduating from high school but who i i'm getting the sense don't really know what they should do I want to bring in Michelle Vesprini. She is a guidance counselor at St. Thomas More. This is what she does, she talks to students day after day to get their sense of what they want and to help them get there. Michelle, how are you tonight?
2: Well, Scott, how are you?
0: I Well, listen, I'm probably less confused than someone who's in grade 12, who's been off school, on school, remote school, in class, and now okay, trying to figure know. out what the heck I'm supposed to do going forward. Um, yeah. It seems that, I mean, we know that whether you call it Victory Lap or Grade 13 or OAC or whatever, I mean, that has always been an option, but is it more of an option now for people?
2: You know, that's a a really good question. I think many people are asking that if they're having dialogue about education and our graduates. You know, the uh, stats aren't in yet because school is still going, but yeah, I think that we we I would have to anticipate that we're going to see more students at least consider um, returning for a, a fifth year. But as you mentioned in the opening, that is not uncommon, and it is um, it is something no matter the the label that is placed on that fifth year. You always see victory lap fifth year. Uh, Grade thirteen it, students have always had this this as an option, and they continue to have it as an option. This year, there is not going to be any school that's going to close their doors to students who mm. feel as though that they didn't they didn't really get the fulfillment of that grade twelve experience, whether it be academic or otherwise.
0: Well, do you do you get the sense when you're talking to students? Do students feel like they have received Regardless of the effort by teachers, administrators, everyone else, do you think they feel they've received a proper grade 12 education with everything that's gone on that is now got them set to go out into the world?
2: Um, Okay, another really good question. Now, this year, I do want to stipulate I am primarily the the grade 9 guidance counselor. Last year, I had all the grade 12s. We moved with our cohorts. So um, this year, although I have had conversations with some of the grade 12s that was not my portfolio, last year, as we were sort of beginning this whole phase of remote learning, students were really apprehensive about what to expect if they had, you know, hit all the check marks for getting into programs that they applied to at the college or university level. Uh, Many last year, because remote learning was so new to us, uh, many chose to return. It's an interesting dynamic this year, though, Scott, because we've gone through a year of remote learning. Our students are familiar with the, you know, the diverse formats that are that are presented to them through remote learning and are also fully aware that at the post secondary education scene it was the same i don't believe that same trepidation is what the students are concerned about the other the other component to whether they return or not has more to do with the selection process at the post secondary um uh, level So well, like
0: get, getting in, is that what you mean?
2: Getting in. So because the government gave the um, delivery modality decisions to the school boards themselves, each school board offered a different model of remote learning. Our school board, the Catholic school Board, offered an octomestered system, meaning one course at a time. For 23 days, and then the, the our our colleagues, our Hamilton Wentworth District School Board, were running a quadmaster, and that being two courses at a time, for example, so spread out the the, the day was a little bit different. Um, so speaking from my experience, which was which was the octomaster, our students in grade 12, if they were scheduled to take one of their required courses for their programs of choice at post-secondary and they were scheduled in the last two terms of semester two, they were at a disadvantage.
3: Yeah, for sure. The
2: universities and colleges had to adapt their selection process and many chose to select from grade 11 marks or to take the students that completed all the courses
0: prior to those final terms.
1: you're listening to the scott radley show podcast on 900 chml michelle
0: just before the break you were talking about how you know there's some questions about getting into the programs but if many 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 kids all decide they're going to stay back in high school to up their course grades or to set themselves up isn't that going to create a massive cohort next year to go to university or college? That's going to make it even more difficult to get in.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yes, Scott, it, it will. And, and I wish I had numbers to discuss with respect to the difference between who, um, who is returning for that fifth year versus, you know, our normal years, which are typically around 25 to eh, just shy of 30% of our student population will will do a a fifth round regardless. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, it it, it will prove to be another competitive year for Mm -hmm. our, uh, get double cohorted students, some may argue.
0: How many of the kids, and now again, I understand you're not talking necessarily with all the grade 12s, but how many of them have talked, even last year, not so much about the academics that they've maybe missed out or had as a different experience this year, but how many have talked about all the other stuff they've missed from high school, from grade 12, outside the classroom that they want to come back to experience?
3: Oh,
2: my. Well, I mean, every student who is a student athlete, has lost out on that final year. And you being a sports person as well knows how important that last year is to land, you know, a a position playing for a a team, whether it be in in Canada or abroad. Uh, So that loss, the loss of the arts, the loss of being involved in the plethora of, Clubs that are offered in all of our high schools across the city, both public and Catholic school systems. So, um, yeah, students have lamented all year about, and not only students, believe me, teachers have as well, about not experiencing the social, emotional components that are equally as important for a student with within you know the walls of their high school.
0: So I mean and once again I understand you're not talking exclusively or mostly with grade 12s but let's say a grade 12 came up to you this year and said I don't know what to do what what advice can you give what advice do you I mean I know every kid is different but generally I mean do you is it generally seen by the academic school world that a grade 13 or an OAC or victory lap is a good thing, or is it generally seen? No, you're better to move along and and take that next step in your life.
2: Oh yeah. So that's a bit loaded, but you're also somewhat answering that question too. So, um, every student is definitely an individual when it comes to what should I, that, what should I do question, but big asterisks for this year, right? Like this year, is and hopefully will never be um, ever again uh, an anomaly. And so I believe that any student who has spoken with their family or trusted individuals about returning to high school for whatever reason, just the uncertainty alone, will be welcomed with open arms, you know, with maybe some exceptions, but but for the most part, you know, this year it, it has been so difficult, not only for the academic side for students, but the the mental health, right, the social piece, and that is what helps our youth and we as adults. That's what helps us grow and develop and become these discerning um, adults. And and we can't expect our students to feel completely well-rounded leaving grade 12 this year. If, uh, you know, if they're questioning it and their parents or the people that they trust are supportive, then, you know, we have a whole lifetime to tackle all of the goals that we set for ourselves. If you don't feel ready this year, there, there are other years where I might say, Hey, take that leap of faith. But, This year, I think it would be very, very, very okay to say, I want to give this another
0: shot. Michelle Vesprini, the guidance counselor, a guidance counselor from St. Thomas Moore. Really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this.
2: Thanks, Scott.
0: Uh, You know, and one of the other things that that really becomes so difficult for these kids is you, you get only one chance to go through this so if I was in grade 12 right now and I'd never done grade 12 before, which, you know, presumably not many are failing it and having to do it over. So you get one go at it. You've had no exams. You've had a very different experience. You don't have anything to compare it to, to know whether you're ready. So how do you know how, boy, it is, um, it, it is such a messy thing. It is such a messy thing. And I know if you, if you're brilliant, Yeah, probably you're fine. If your marks are fantastic and you ace everything, yeah, fine. But if you're in that middle ground and if you're terrible, you know what's going on. But if you're in that middle ground, how do you know?
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I want
0: to talk about two very interesting political stories going on in this country right now that are similar in some ways, but are being treated very, very, very differently. Now we've talked on this show, the first one, we've talked on the show about what is happening in Quebec right now, where the federal government has said that the Quebec, the provincial government can adjust the national constitution to work to better its position within the country, to look after its interests. It can declare itself a nation. It can declare that French is the official language of Quebec, essentially ending bilingualism as we know it. That's okay. The federal government has said, no, our, our research, our impression is that you can do that. Quebec, go ahead. Adjust the constitution. That's okay. Well, that's one of the stories. The other story is not in this part. It's on the other side of the country. That's in Alberta, where Alberta is preparing to launch a referendum on equalization payments, which would also require a tweak to the Constitution. Similar thing. The Constitution, the province changing the national Canadian Constitution to suit its interests. But this issue is getting no political support from Ottawa, Nobody anywhere is talking about it. No one is certainly supporting Alberta as they launch into this one. Two provinces, two different regions, two different histories, two different responses. I want to bring in Stephen LeDrew. He is a former president of the Liberal Party of Canada. He's a commentator. He is the guy behind the three-minute interview on YouTube. He joins us now. Stephen, how are you?
3: Oh, and, um, and by I might say, very good praise of these uh, two issues from uh, Quebec and Alberta.
0: Well, so yeah, three weeks ago, the prime minister said that he, the federal government's initial analysis concluded that the provinces can adjust or modify parts of the constitution that apply specifically to them. Right. Should it be, should he, should his government, should anyone in Ottawa then be surprised that this has opened a bit of a Pandora's box that suddenly we're discovering other provinces may want to do this too. Now that we've heard it's okay.
3: Well, first of all, Mr. Trudeau said that, and virtually every constitutional lawyer in the country uh, said that he was wrong. Uh, even his attorney general sort of had to waffle on it when he was asked by uh, reporters. And uh, we all know that Mr. Trudeau, the drama teacher, uh, doesn't know very much about what is appropriate in law. Even going back to the days of the SNC-Lavalin scandal, when he said, well, everything was appropriate. Uh, of course, we all know that it wasn't. So uh Mr Trudeau's opinion is not to be relied upon however he is the prime minister and so what he says goes and uh, we're seeing a very different temperature in Canada and um I will show my age Scott uh, by going back to the to uh, the times of when his father was prime minister and the uh, late 70s early 80s and we're dealing with the new constitution we're dealing with national issues and I mean, Bill Davis was premier of Ontario, and he and, other, and, and Mr. Lougheed, Alberta, um, Sterling Lyon, uh, you know, in the West, they would take a national perspective. They would do something for Canada. And oftentimes commentators would say, well, you know, if you want to be prosaic and, and provincial, here's what you would do. And they would say, no, we are, we are looking out for the interests of Canada. What we're seeing right now is a prime minister who is looking out for the interests of his own votes. And he needs a huge number of votes in um, in the next federal election in Quebec. And he is selling, in my view, he is selling, selling out Canada to try to get those votes. Canada is a bilingual country. We have been for years and years and years. And what he is essentially saying to Quebecers is that, yeah, you can go ahead, be be unilingual. Don't worry about those Anglos in Montreal. Uh, they aren't going to vote for Trudeau in any event. Uh, I'm sure the polls are But covering. what he,
0: but Stephen, what he and anyone else in his party, in the government, in Ottawa, and staff, whoever, had to, they had to surely see that if you tell one province that you can change the constitution, whether you can or can't, if you tell them you can... Other provinces are going to say, well, we got a few things we'd like to sort out. It, it, they had to know that was coming. Did they?
3: Scott? They you, had you, to. You are, you are arguing that there's a, a rational voice in Ottawa, and many people know that there isn't. I'm not sure that they had to, or if they, if they did know, they are willing to gamble in order to get those votes in Quebec. It's all about the next election. It's all about Trudeau and his smirk wanting to stay in office, and they will do anything to uh, sell anything to get those votes. Now, for Alberta, um, uh, Jason Kenney an honorable guy, and uh, I'm somewhat surprised at that. But on the other hand, he is facing some difficulties in Alberta. The right is split. He is a uh, right-of-center politician. And he, uh, as well, is listening to Albertans saying, you know, we have been supporting the rest of Canada for years and years and years financially. Now we are down the dumps because of in many parts because of Trudeau's uh, policies, oil and gas sector is, 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 is in the doldrums and, um, we don't want to, um, we don't, we don't want to deal with this thing called equalization.
0: Yeah. In Canada. And I want to get into that more after the, after a break, we're going to take a break in a second here, but just back to the idea of they had to know, if you, if you have a neighbor on each side of your house, Stephen, and you turn to one neighbor and say, and he asks you if I can build a 25 foot high brick wall between our homes, and you go, Sure. And then the neighbor on the other side sees this and says, I'd like that privacy. Uh, uh, Even if you don't let them, you have to expect they're going to want to do the same thing. And that's what I'm talking about. They had to at least know they were opening this Pandora's box.
3: But if the neighbor in the middle is saying, I want the fence on the one side because of shade and I don't need it on the other side because there's no question of the sun, then they're going to try and make that distinction.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML
0: not to get too deep into this, but equalization obviously is a money thing. Is that, c- could we could we say that's the difference here? That if, you know, Ottawa just doesn't want to lose Alberta's money, if it wasn't a money thing, maybe Al- Ottawa would be all over this and all for it.
3: Well, I think that, uh, I mean, there's many reasons for it and, and money is um, certainly a big factor. But uh, again, I go back to the fact that, and uh Help me with this, God. How many seats are there now in uh, Alberta? Still stuck at twenty-six. I think it might be.
0: All I know is it's zero that are red.
3: That's right, and um, and and very little potential for any to go into the liberal uh, side of things in the next election. So it, it's all about seats, and uh, Trudeau um, is just writing off the West, and he really needs the uh, support in Alber- uh, Sorry, in, in Quebec, in order to remain in power after the election um, and so it's 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 a very dangerous politics it's very narrow politics it's divisive politics and uh... i just think that it's uh... it's dangerous for uh, the country and 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 you know i don't know whether Quebecers are going to uh, buy it sure they want to have um... a better deal if, if they consider it that for themselves although i mean there's no question the language is protected. The French language is protected. Uh, there's no real threat to it at all. And, um, but uh, they're playing the, the language card, and hopefully Quebecers will not be taken in by that. But it does show the desperation, Scott, of, uh, of the Trudeau uh, government and his uh, political advisors that they are going for this. And I think that, it's uh, as I said, it is, it is desperation. It also, I think, uh, will make many Canadians stand up and take note of uh, the dangerous politics that are being played, and the fact is that perhaps, perhaps, Scott, this is intended to cover the other absences of this government. I mean, there are serious issues, serious, serious issues that we have to address. I mean, the the inflationary push is starting, Uh, incredible debt, uh, incredible mismanagement of uh, public finances, um, and uh, all the other issues that people have with this government. And so uh, they're trying to say, okay, well, just don't worry about those things, folks, and we will take another issue. So it's a, it's a constitutional game, and usually when you say constitution, people start to snore, and good for them. because, mm. <laughs> because Well, it's a, it's, it's, all right, it's so let's issue. say...
0: Let's say for a second, I have no idea how this referendum in Alberta will go. I have no idea. I don't even know if it's actually going to happen, but let's say it does. It's supposedly going to happen. Let's say that it happens and let's say that it wins. Let's say that they now vote, the people of Alberta vote to end equalization payments. Where does the federal government go when that comes in front of them? Because they've said that provinces can do this. They've said that provinces can tweak the constitution if they want to. How do they then turn down Alberta, without further alienating what's already an alienated part of the country that really has no time for Ottawa to begin with in a lot of ways?
3: I had an answer for you, Scott, until you said without further alienating. And and when you put that uh, into your question, then uh, my answer went, my answer would have been that um, they could make the distinction between language rights and pocketbook issues. Uh, Pocketbook matters are not seen as rights uh while language is. And uh that's what they could say is a difference so then they can say for Quebec we agree with you and you can deal with uh use the notwithstanding clause for that but in um in Alberta uh, that's that's simply a matter of negotiation and it's not a question of rights and uh therefore uh there's a difference in the way we are treating your two constitutional um agendas. And uh, I think I, I, I think it still could come down to that, but I mean it's all a very messy business.
0: Well, and, it is, it is, and, and, well, and to that you know. end, to that end. So if this is all politics, and I don't think anyone listening doesn't think this is all politics. We, we're, we're none of us are dumb. We know, but I'm going to just play along with that. If this is all politics, if Ontario were to, to dip its toe into this and say, "Hey, here's something we'd like to change in the constitution unilaterally." well, we know that the electoral map in Ontario is pretty red and has to be for the Liberals to win. Do you think that the government says we're okay with Ontario doing it? Or do you think that they stand up and say, no, like Albert, or they don't say anything at all? I mean, how political can you get with this?
3: Well, it depends on what the issue is that Ontario would want to have changed as a result of, uh, have changed the constitution. And so that, um, it, it's a good hypothetical, Scott, but I think that... Um, they would try to uh, suck and blow at the same time. And um, as to whether Ontarians would, would see through that, I think Ontarians are pretty sharp on stuff like this, so they, they, they would. But it's a, it's a very dangerous game. I mean, we have so many issues that are afflicting people in this, uh, in this country, you know, you know, jobs and health and health care. And we've seen in Ontario we need huge um, expansion of health care, uh issues particularly with people who are um who are retired and uh in uh, in in you know having care in homes so i mean i think that to have a bunch of politicians talking about constitutional issues i would hope that most people would look at them Scott and say hey let's get some politicians here who are talking about the real things that matter in our lives and uh, they aren't constitutional issues not really language rights in Quebec. That, I mean, they're, they're, they're in very good shape. Uh, let's just talk about the issues that are impacting us all.
0: Health yeah, health and health. we got to run, but I would even like a, politi- a federal politician, not a provincial. Provincial, we know what the provincial politicians yes. are out for. They're protecting the province. But I would love to see federal politicians of any stripe be about the entire country rather than each individual place. Nonetheless, another discussion for another day. Uh, Stephen LeDrew, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this today. <laughs>
1: Good job. You're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: There is a very interesting scenario story being played out in Vancouver right now. The Vancouver school board has voted to cancel honors programs for high schoolers. So if you were someone who was very hardworking or gifted or whatever, and you could do, say, three years of math in two years, and these were the students, by the way, who were identified by the board as having the aptitude and the work ethic necessary, um, you used to be able to take advanced courses, middle school and high school. And a lot of people seem to really like the idea. Well, the board has said that's no longer going to be available. Why? Well, this kind of situation doesn't meet the board's goals of equity and inclusion. And some even say it's racist. We'll explain how they get to that point in a minute. I want to bring in Monica Ferenzi. She is the owner and consultant of Horizon Educational Consulting. She is, joins us now. Monica, how are you tonight? Thanks for doing this.
4: Thank you. Good evening. Thanks for inviting me on the show.
0: Well, I, I, I'm glad to have you because this, this one to me, um, Monica, this sounds... As I read this story, it sounds like what we're trying to do here, or what they're trying to do is rather than raising the bar and trying to get people to rise to be great, it sounds like what they're trying to do is lower the bar so nobody feels badly, but that, I don't know that lowering the bar is what our goal should be, is it?
4: No, but education systems are always about delivering to the largest critical mass or the average student. So Any students who are either in difficulty on one end or excel very well on the other end are always the ones that are most impacted by school board decisions and programming. So with this particular one, by taking courses away that uh, appeal to high-performing students, particularly gifted students, it's really taking away an educational service without any sort of rationale to Mm. eliminate those, especially at the last minute from what i understood in the articles it was offered and students signed up for them. And now they're saying that they're not going to offer them. So when educational decisions have been made by students, um, those services should be provided.
0: And and you talk, you know, there's the people who are at the bottom who struggle and maybe for either just because they don't work hard or because they have challenges, there's all kinds of reasons why they could struggle. And there's those, as you say, at the top, Mm -hmm. no board would ever in its right mind say, we're going to get rid of those protective devices those special needs programs or other things to help those at the bottom we're going to keep so why then is it okay to say but we're then going to take away the ones for the kids at the top again I look at this and I just think it's 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 taking away the the reason or an, an opportunity for excellent kids to do excellent things
4: so it's often perceived that high performing students don't have needs because they're high performing but they have other yeah. needs. And one of that is a social emotional need to be with other mm. students who are, are like them. And so it's very important that they be offered programs and safe spaces in learning environments where they can connect with those other students. And that's why high schools with the diversity of courses and programming that they offer are very appealing and, and where every child finds their place or their best friend in the course of four years. What I have a challenge with is that they're saying that this is uh, not uh, within their mandate for equity, diversity and inclusion, but it's the opposite. Because I think there is a misconception or a misunderstanding that equality means delivering everything, uh, the same thing to everyone, and equity means everyone gets what they need. So this really is an equity issue. And it's not about equality at all, because equality is mediocrity, and it's the base minimum. And we know that school boards, and always, they offer what they have to offer first. And any of the extras that they offer is either through parent advocacy, or students demanding those types of courses, or, student, or teachers willing to offer new courses in their areas of interest, and when they cut programs, it's always uh, related to funding. So I don't believe that it has nothing, anything to do with their mandate for equity, diverse, diversity and inclusion, because those three concepts go together. We don't separate them out. And diversity is offering something for everyone.
0: Let me just say, if you say nothing else tonight, and, and I'm, I'm sure you're going to say many more brilliant things, but if you say nothing else that's brilliant, and I, I, I applaud you so much for saying this because so many people, I don't think, get this when you, when you explain that there's a difference between equity and equality, because those get m- used almost as the same word, and they're not the same thing. They're not the same thing, and it's very few people that say what you say and point out that those are different things.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And when I look at um, what what their comments are to, to those programs and they say that, well, they can apply to other programs, but there, there are application processes for those programs and students don't get into those other programs. Um, so w- when you have, for example, a large number of students applying for a small number of spaces, that's not equity. Equity would be offering everyone a space if they wanted to be in a program. And so if, if they're reducing these honors courses that are offered at two high schools, but more people want to be in them, they're, they're not looking at the data. So not looking at the data is one of the ways that school boards avoid uh, offering more. But it also has to do with funding, because in high schools, generally uh, courses are funded or high school students are funded by the number of courses that are offered. So when things get too expensive, they take out the extras and they stay with the the main compulsory courses so offering an extra section of an honors uh, math course or an honors science course costs them more and if there are fewer students than in regular classrooms then it would be a cost factor but i would be curious to see what their data is on Mm. that because if they're refusing to offer the courses but there are enough students to offer them then school boards as public service education providers have to listen to the needs of their clients and provide those programs and services that they're asking for.
0: Doesn't this potentially also make teachers' jobs more difficult? Because if you can take the really, really, really gifted students and put them together and give a teacher to them to to keep them motivated and they don't they need different things now you put them in a class with those who are struggling and the ones who are struggling can't keep up with them and they don't want to stay back with the ones who are struggling and now the teachers it seems to me are in a position where they can't satisfy anybody
4: yes it is very demanding on teachers absolutely and and that's why we have teachers who take on different uh, curriculum in, in high school because that's their area of specialty, that's their area of interest, and students are more engaged when they're taught by a subject specialist. We don't assign um, science teachers to teach phys ed, for example. That's not the best pedagogical approach. And that's why high school teachers generally have two teachable subjects or three, that they can deliver to students. And so delivering and teaching in your area of expertise and interest is what makes courses and learning engaging for students. So if you're redistributing teachers out of areas that they are interested in, then teachers who aren't motivated don't motivate students either. So you have disengagement on both ends.
0: Yeah, you know, Monica, what really, what bothers me about this and why I wanted to talk about it and why it got me cranked up today when I saw this story I don't have kids in a Vancouver school, so I'm not going to be affected by by this directly. But this seems to me to be exactly the, the, what we're talking about when we say, when we talk about the everybody gets a trophy parenting or adulting that we've decided that nobody can feel badly, even though maybe the kids don't even feel badly, rather than saying, we're going to have these courses that, you know what, if you work really hard and put the effort in, uh, you can, you could go into these courses as well. It's something to strive for. We're going to take that away so that nobody feels badly or nobody can be perceived to be falling behind or not being equal. I I, I don't know. There's something, there's something wrong with the idea that we have to make every kid believe that, 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 you know, that, that they never have to learn that it's okay. You don't have to win. You don't have to be the best in every single thing. Some people do great at that. Some people do great at that. We seem to have lost that. And this seems to be uh, typical to me of that, that idea.
4: Yes, and, and students do like to achieve. They do yes. like to please their teachers. They do like to perform, whether it's academically or in sports or in athletics. So they need to be encouraged to reach to their highest potential. And when that opportunity isn't there, then that's where they they become at risk. And bright students mm. fall through the cracks just as much as students who struggle.
0: I mean, if we were to follow this logic through to its natural extension, would we not have to do things like get rid of academic awards entirely in schools because that would mean that somebody was doing better than others and were, we're highlighting someone who achieved who may have had advantages over someone else?
4: Yes, that's something that as an educator has always bothered me because generally when the time came around in high schools to give out awards, we would often see one student scoop up three or four awards. Because right. They were high-performing in all areas. And so that creates a real... um deterrent for other students to even bother trying because they know who the stellar superstars are in every class cohort, whether as you move through the grades, and those are the same students who pull on everything. The issue I have is it's the wrong kind of awards that are being given, and that's a fossilized practice from many, many uh, generations where we're still giving out awards for, for what really is quite meaningless because If you were to give out an entrepreneurship award to a student, that has much more meaning for that student's career and potential employment in the future than an academic award in English.
0: Okay, and and I, I take your point, and I think there's probably some merit there for sure, but I'm looking at it from, you know what, if I'm one of those people who really wants to do well in school and Johnny wins all those awards or Sally wins all those awards, you know what, next year I can gun for them and I can really try to catch them. And it's a, it's an, it, it incentivizes hard work rather than saying, you know what, because I couldn't win the award, we're not having awards anymore. And and I, I think that's kind of wrong too, even if it's different awards, but just something, there's nothing in my mind wrong with incentivizing excellence.
4: Oh, absolutely. But I think we have to think of new ways to do that because our okay. current generation of students don't buy into the traditional awards anymore. Because they're much more gratified, well, instant gratification is, is one of the characteristics of our young people right now. We see that on social media, we see yeah, that with, with likes and, and how they gain popularity. So, uh, f- for them to be recognized, I think, um, is important. It is, definitely, but how they're recognized and through what mechanism is equally important.
0: One other thing that I found really interesting about this story, there have been a couple experts who have referred to the reason behind this also as being racist because uh, I guess they mean that there's a lot of white middle-class kids who have some advantages, whether they have tutors or whatever. But um, I mean, look, I, I don't believe for a second that if you were to go to the typical school, that all the kids that are performing well or all the kids that are in these honors classes are caucasian i think there's you would find a wide range and by somehow getting rid of them the the very people that if if this is going to be an issue of racism the very people that you say you're protecting you may also be hurting because there's lots of people from the middle east and black kids and asian kids and everyone else who are excelling in these honors programs you're you're targeting something that's not really i don't necessarily think the target
4: Well, I would certainly hope that that's the case, but we now have research in Ontario that shows that school boards uh, engage in uh, guidance practices that um, stream students from racialized communities out of high academic performing uh, programs. And we had recently an internal study from the Toronto District School Board that demonstrated that. And that has been a the reason why Ontario is one of the last provinces to uh, enter into de-streaming courses at the high school level because we now have the research that shows that that practice has actually eliminated students from higher achieving and more academically challenging programs. So I would hope that there would be diversity in those programs, but realistically I, I don't think the data would support that at the present
0: time. Okay, but is that then the reason to get rid of the programs, or is that the reason to fix the streaming issues?
4: Well, the streaming issues need to be fixed. It's the, the programs are not a problem. Those Those right. programs should be there for all students to reach for, absolutely. And it comes back to that diversity and inclusion and equity principle. Where we want everybody, every student, to reach for those, whether they come from indigenous communities, um, racialized communities, um, new immigrant populations, or 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 students who are typically in our schools, socioeconomic, whether they're high socioeconomic or low socioeconomic, single parent families or blended families. We want all of those students to have the same opportunities extended to them. But a lot of, them ha- a lot of that has to do with what the messaging is within the schools. And that's, that is messaged through guidance uh, teachers and regular classroom teachers when they make suggestions and recommendations for students. And so we have a huge problem where parents aren't even aware that their children have been recommended out of a certain course because that conversation never gets to them. And so I think that is more of a concern. Those practices need to be looked at, not the actual programs. Programs should stay for sure.
0: Monica Forenzi, she is the owner of Horizon Educational Consulting. Always love having you on. Thanks for taking some time tonight.
4: Thank you very much, Scott.
0: Uh, yeah, that is, look, Monica's absolutely right. Um, if, if we are not doing a proper job at directing people into these honors programs, into these high f- high streaming programs, that should be fixed. But the idea that that means that we have to just say, well, it's not working as well as it possibly could. So let's get rid of the program entirely under the guise of equity. And look, Monica said something that I, I, I think everybody has to write this down because it's so absolutely true and it gets confused all the time. Equity and equality are not the same thing. We confuse those all the time and our discussions then get thrown off track because they're not we should be keeping as many possible programs in place in our schools that incentivize excellence, that incentivize hard work, that make it so that if you work hard and if you put the effort in and if you show that you are excellent at something, that you can have these opportunities. Not saying we're going to lower the bar because. Not everyone can reach the highest rung on the ladder, therefore we're going to bring the ladder down. That's that's not how you push people to be better. That's not how you encourage them to be better. Lowering the standards doesn't make anybody better. And you know, I I was going to say this to Monica and I never got a chance because it's something that I've I've thought before, but it, I mean, if we think about this example in in the most ridiculous terms possible, although I think this is pretty ridiculous. If the idea is we can't have these classes, these classes, these honors classes, these classes for the kids who really excel, we can't have these because not everybody can get in. It's not equal or it's not equitable, whichever word you choose to use there. And again, I told you they're, they're not the same, but they get used the same. And that's why I used it. We can't have these because it's not equitable. Well, again, follow the logic. And that would mean that if a school board truly believes that equity, true equity, equal, almost equality is the end game here. Think about a school play for a second. Let's say your school decides it's going to put on a performance of Les Mis. If, if we're going to follow this kind of situation where we can't have people who get extra opportunities, everyone's got to have exactly equal opportunities, exactly the same Well, then you have a school play of Les Mis. Everybody who tries out, who's a guy, has to play the role of Jean Valjean. You can have, everyone has to be the lead. Why? You can't have someone who's the lead and other people who have lesser roles. Come on. And if you're a girl who tries out, everyone's got to be Cosette. There can be nobody in the chorus because that wouldn't be fair. That wouldn't be equitable. I mean, I know that's a ridiculous comparison because it, it's, but that's kind of what we're talking about here. If you're great in school, we're not going to allow you to flex your academic muscles the way we once did because you know what? There's people who can't do that, and so that's not fair to them. When when was it? When was it established? That everybody has to be equally great at everything. Isn't this part of what makes society wonderful is that we all have different things we're great at and we can excel at the things we're good at and we don't necessarily have to be great at some other things. But you know what? There's people who are. I was horrible in high school. I I, w- I almost killed my parents when I brought home my report cards. <laughs> I was ba- I did everything else in school. But school, you know, high school, now I got to university and I found what I liked to do and I took off and I blossomed and I became good at that. But it's okay. I was not great at high school. I don't expect that that means that all the people who were in my grade who were great at school, at academics, and who did work harder than I did, I don't expect that means I should have wanted them to be brought down to my level. I had the chance to try and rise up to their level. I didn't. I didn't put the effort in. So why should they be penalized because I didn't do that or because I because they had a gift? Maybe they were brilliant and they just were able to. Why should why should they not be allowed to allowed to express that and excel that way? Because someone else is not at their level. That you're going to be good at something else. You're going to be good at something else. I don't know. I, I this this whole idea and you know I never asked Monica and I wish I had. Um, whether she expects that this is the kind of thing it's happening in Vancouver right now, uh, whether this is the kind of thing that will eventually spread across the country and whether we'll start seeing it around here. Oh, I hope not. Oh, I hope not. Um, Let me just tell you that I, I'm not alone in this one and she's not alone in this one, thinking this is ludicrous. I mean, go on social media, things like words like race to the bottom, edufad, virtue signaling performative nonsense on and on and on apparently most people realize this is ludicrous and this is the wrong way to do education inspire people to shoot for something big don't put a cap on and say okay you know what we'll 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 make everyone the same by making sure that they're not going to get too far ahead of you that's that come on that's the that's the opposite of what we should be doing that's the opposite of what we should be doing. Think of every great speech ever given to inspire people. And imagine if it had been with this kind of philosophy behind it. Be really great, but not too great, because you know, those people who are behind you, they 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 may not have the same desire to be great, but you don't want to make them feel badly. Now, imagine John F. Kennedy or someone on the on the steps giving his presidential inaugural address. Be fantastic but not too good because we don't want to make the guy behind you feel bad. Mm, not not as inspiring as might have been. The
1: Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.
0: The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.